Good morning again. Hey, we've been talking about this series for a while. I am so excited to finally be launching it today. This brand new teaching series called Finding Home. And here's the backstory. My family and I were at a concert a while back. Maybe you remember concerts, something we used to do pre-COVID, right? We're at this concert and the person on the stage took a short break from singing and they put this statistic up on the screen. They said in the United States, there are 100,000 kids right now, he said at that time, in need of a home. And that really sunk in because home is such a powerful word, isn't it? Powerful, powerful word. I'm not sure that the human heart has a deeper longing than the longing for home. To have a place where we are known, to be a, have a place where we're loved unconditionally, to have a place where we feel safe and secure. You know, remember those times where, where maybe you were lost as a kid. Think about what that felt like. What did it feel like to look around and to not see somebody that you knew or to not see some face that was really familiar? To look around and not have somebody that you know was looking out for you. According to Chris Tomlin, who was the artist at that concert, 100,000 kids right at that moment didn't have that kind of security just here in the United States. Well, we just wrapped up a series called The Word. This is what scripture says about you and the God who created you. This is from Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all of my ways. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall guide me. Your right hand shall hold me. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows that very well. This is why so many people equate finding Jesus with coming home. Because experiencing the presence of God, the God that inspired those words, that presence connect us, connects us with our deepest longings to be loved, to be known, to be accepted, and to know that we know that we know that we're never alone. All right, let's continue on. Verse 23, search me, O God, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there's any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. In this series, what we're going to do is we're going to do this. We're going to challenge one another to search our hearts, examine our thoughts, look at our ways, and ask whether or not God is asking us to play a role in helping kids find a home. Well, at that same concert, the artist did this. He put another stat on the screen right next to the first one. In the United States, there are 100,000 kids in need of a home. And how many churches are there? 400,000. Let's do the math. If just one church in four would step up to this challenge, what would happen? We'd find a home for all 100,000 of those kids. As people who've been adopted by a gracious father and welcomed into his family, let's press in as a church and ask questions about how we can help 
more kids find home. Well, unfortunately, I need to hit pause and I need to take a moment to say this, that there are a number of voices, a large number of voices, a growing number of voices who say things like this, and I kid you not. They say things like, if you hear a church talking about justice, run. Run, they say. Because, they say, churches shouldn't be talking about justice, they should be teaching the Bible. You guys, I'm in the Bible almost every day. And I want to challenge you, if if you're hearing these voices and you're not sure what the Bible does and doesn't say, look for yourself. Don't just listen to those voices. Look for yourself. Here's a couple places you could start. What does the scripture say about bringing hope and healing to a broken world? It says, it says things like this. Now, look at, go to, go to a, a resource like BibleGateway.com. Do a keyword search for justice. And, and take some time. Look at those. Look at them in context and see what they say. Ask questions like, what kind of fast does the Lord find acceptable in Isaiah 58? Ask questions like, what does the Lord require of us in Micah 6, 8? Look at what Old Testament text Jesus opened to as he began his ministry in Luke 4. Ask yourself what behaviors separated the sheep from the goats in Jesus' own words in Matthew 25. How is pure religion described in James 1.27? In 1 John 3.17, what does the Word of God say? What does the Bible say about those who have things that we need but close their hearts to those who don't? My brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus should not love in word and talk only, but also with actions and in truth. Can I get an amen? Amen. None of us can do everything, but I am convinced that every believer should have a substantive something. During this season, you might just find yours. All right, let's start our journey here. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Jesus welcomed children home. Following Jesus, it is Christianity 101. And let's look at what Jesus modeled and what Jesus taught. If you have your Bible with you, please open with me to Matthew chapter 18, verse 1. It says this, At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and they asked, Who then is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The words at that time that open up this chapter seem to help us with the location where this thing that's about to happen happened. The passage right before this one places Jesus and his disciples at a town called Capernaum, possibly in a home, in a home, the home of Peter and Andrew. If that's the case, then that is the perfect setting for this chapter because chapter 18 is the fourth of five major teaching discourses in Matthew that are often referred to as the community discourses. The community discourses. In this chapter, chapter 18, Jesus casts a vision for a new and different kind of community, which he calls the church later in this chapter, verse 17. In this chapter, chapter 18, Jesus, as he's casting a vision for this community, he talks about sin, but he talks about forgiveness. And he talks about how God is like a good shepherd who will leave the 99 that are safe so that he can go out and find that lost lamb that isn't safe. 
It's also the place, interesting enough, where we get the idea that we might have guardian angels. That's in this chapter too. In the section that we're looking at right now though, in this section, the one we're gonna look at this morning, Jesus answers a question. And the question is, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus gives a very surprising answer. Let's look at that. Chapter 18, verses two through three. Jesus called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's why this was surprising. What was the question again? The question was, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? In that time, in that place, children were not considered the greatest. Children were considered the lowliest. In fact, in some ancient languages, including ancient Greek, which this was written in originally, the words for child weren't masculine. The word for child wasn't feminine. In other words, children weren't yet considered a he or a she. Children were considered its. They weren't considered a person until they were old enough to be productive in the eyes of their parents. That is so different than Psalm 139, isn't it? Many cultures who didn't have our sacred scriptures, many cultures, they saw children as less than fully human. Infants and children, they didn't have a voice. Parents could even make the choice to discard their own children. If the family thought they couldn't afford them, if they wanted a boy instead of a girl, or if the baby wasn't as perfect as they hoped. In cultures that weren't shaped by scripture, babies that weren't wanted would sometimes even be put out, outside the village, where they'd be left to starve or where they would be eaten by predators. I wanna show you something. Came across this quote as I was doing my research. The most powerless members of ancient society were little children. In Jewish culture, children were loved, not despised, but they had no status apart from that love and no power or privileges apart from what they received as total dependence on their parents. Here's why I'm sharing that quote with you. It's been 2,000 years, and that's still today, true today, isn't it? It's still true that if a child doesn't have an advocate looking out for them, they don't have a voice, even in the United States. Children have very, very little protections if there isn't a loving adult looking out for them. We can all think of examples where babies, where children, where teens aren't safe, in some cases, even from their own parents. When a child doesn't have an advocate, they lose their voice, they lose their rights, and they become extremely vulnerable. Imagine then being one of those 100,000 kids who doesn't have a home. Imagine being a kid who is lost in a system without an advocate who's looking out for them. Jesus goes even further than one Psalm 139. 
Jesus, what he does, he draws everyone's attention to a child. And then he says, hey, if you want to be great in the kingdom of heaven, there's your example. There it is. Again, Jesus, he goes beyond Psalm 139. He says, kids aren't just intrinsically valuable, like it says in Psalm 139. It's more than that. It's more than you bear the image of God. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You have intrinsic value. They're, they're also intrinsically valuable, if that's even a word. In addition to bearing the image of God, they also have a practical role. They can benefit us as adults. They provide adults with insights into how we accept and enter and achieve greatness in the kingdom of God. By observing a child, we can learn the importance of becoming dependent on our Heavenly Father. By observing a child, we can learn important lessons about trust. By observing a child, we can learn the importance of remaining adventurous and remaining eager and being ready to be drawn into a story, drawn into a great drama, which are all needed if you're going to follow Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. Children are valuable intrinsically and intrinsically. And Jesus put an exclamation point on what he just said with these words. Verse 5 says this, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name, welcomes who? Welcomes Christ. From there, oh, I wish we had more time. From there, Jesus goes on to provide one of the strongest warnings that he issues anywhere for someone who would cause one of those little ones to stumble or one of those little ones to sin. Jesus of Nazareth loves kids. If you're taking notes, I invite you to write this down. Jesus still welcomes children home. Jesus' love for kids, it comes from a deep place. It comes from the, the, the one who was there at creation from, through whom all things were made. It also comes from one who personally experienced these things. Jesus knows what it's like to be the unplanned pregnancy. Jesus knows what it's like to be born in a time where there was a state-sanctioned killing of his peers. Jesus knows what it's like to have an adopted father and possibly to have lost his dad at a young age. Jesus knows what it's like to grow up poor. He knows what it's like to be a refugee. He knows what it's like to be homeless. And this Jesus who experienced all of these things himself. He invites us, he invites all of us, all ages, to come home. There's one last thing I invite you to write down, and it's this invitation. We invite you to join his family. We invite you to become part of that community that Jesus cast a vision for. A family where we are all Brothers and sisters, a family that he called the church right there in chapter 18. A family that doesn't just care for individuals, but a family that cares for families as well. If you have your Bible with you, let's open one last time here. Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. We read these words almost every time that we do an infant dedication. 
People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked the parents. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. And he said to his disciples who were scolding the parents, he said, let the little children come to me. Do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Up until this point in this gospel, I don't think Jesus had ever spoken about the kingdom of God belonging to anyone else before. And here for the first time in this chapter, in this book, he says the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. And yet, the disciples rebuked the parents for bringing their kids to Jesus. <laughs> Most parents don't need a scolding. Most parents could use some help. Can I get an amen to that? And what did Jesus do? Verse 16, Jesus took the children in his arms. He placed his hands on them. And Jesus blessed them. He blessed them. Jesus welcomed the children. He still does. And how does he primarily do that these days? Through his body, the church. We're the body of Christ. We're his hands and feet. Let's be a body that blesses kids and blesses parents. And let's bless kids of all ages, parents that have all ages. That word translated here in Mark chapter 10 as little children, it's a Greek word that can refer to a wide range of ages. I love that they used that word. That word that they use, it can refer to an eight-day-year-old infant. It can refer up to a 12-year-old kid. And we are working like crazy during this season to figure out how we as a church family can be a blessing to kids and their parents. And maybe God's going to call some of you to step up and help with that during the season, to help us right here in our own church family, to care for kids, care for teens, invest in them. But I also believe that God's going to call many of you to more. That's why next week, we're going to zero in on adoption. That's why the week after that, we're going to, oh no, next week, we're going to focus on fostering. And then the week after that, we're going to focus on adoption. And then the week after that, we're going to talk about what it means to be a church that extends the love of God both to moms and to their unborn babies. We're as we're developing this series, we're going to develop a site at the same time that you can access through this link Emmanuel.church slash finding home. It is a work in progress. You might click there today and recognize that it's not fully formed. That's because we're building this thing as we're going. But as the weeks go by, it is going to be a place where you can access all of the video testimonies that we're going to be showing you along the way. I'm so excited for you to start to see these. They are stories from our own church 
people who are engaged in these areas that I just shared. It's also gonna be a place where you can find helpful links to people and organizations that can help you learn if something is stirring inside of you, how you can get involved with fostering, with adopting, with sanctity of life. And, and you can also come around people who are already engaged. And there are a lot of families at our church already engaged. Well, in addition to that site, on December 3rd, another thing we're doing is we're inviting you to join us, everyone to join us, for an online conversation that we're going to have that evening where we're going to talk about next steps and where you can learn and ask questions. Well, we're going to do our best to provide more details about that as we have them. We are on this journey with you. And one of the things I'm really actually very glad about is that we didn't prescribe on the front end everything that was going to happen on that new little site, microsite, or what's going to happen in that conversation. Because as we've been on this journey, we've been meeting you, we've been talking to you, we've been getting your emails. So many of you who've already been engaged in all of these things. And so much of what's going to happen at that conversation is going to be shaped what happens between now and then. So let's commit ourselves right here, right now, to having open minds, open hearts, as we unsolate ourselves from, from, these, um, from things that we maybe, not maybe, things that we should be unsolated from. And we start to ask whether or not God is calling us to welcome kids home. As we bring today's service to a close, we're gonna do it in a little bit of an unconventional way, at least for us. The song that we're going to be closing with today is a song that I've never heard done in church before, at least in a church service. But it is a song that some of you are going to recognize from a snow camp that we did some time ago. We used this song in one of our dramas that we did as we were trying to really drive home that point about home, about coming home. This song can be an invitation. It's got, oh, it's got so many great lyrics. Lyrics like, be careful what you wish for because you just might get it all. And this song, as I mentioned earlier, it is an invitation for those who want to come home. So make this your prayer. Make it your prayer to a good father who welcomes people home. And then let's join him in his good work about inviting other people home too. As we pray this song together, we invite you to join us in commemorating the event that made our way home possible. For hundreds and hundreds of years, the family of God has gathered around a common table. And we've taken bread, and we've taken juice or wine, and we've participated in a moment that commemorates this event. Our Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he had given thanks, he had broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Some call this commemoration the Eucharist. Some call it the Lord's Supper or Holy Communion. It's a way of saying, I'm coming home. There is so much that the Bible doesn't say about this sacrament. It doesn't prescribe a specific age. It doesn't prescribe a specific method. It doesn't prescribe a specific type of bread or wine. It does, doesn't describe a particular teaching that must come before it. But here's what the Bible does say. 
This is from 1 Corinthians 11, 27 through 28. Whoever eats this bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine themselves then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to do that together. We've got some prayers here that help us to examine ourselves. And if you can pray this prayer that we're about to pray, if you can pray that with sincerity, then we invite you to join us at the family table this morning. If you'd like at least a little guidance of how do you do that at home, what we'd invite you to do is to have someone take a piece of bread, break off a piece and say, this is the body of Christ given for you. And then to take your grape juice or your wine and to hold that cup and to, to give it to you and saying, this is the blood of Christ shed for you. And as you do, don't worry about getting the words perfect. Don't worry about getting um, the details perfect. Focus instead on making this moment real and sincere as you come home today. Well, let's prepare right now for that moment. I invite you to join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We're not worthy of these gifts which we're about to receive, but say the word and we'll be made clean. Father, as we start this brand new series, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are out there. Father, I pray that you will not um, heap, <laughs> allow guilt to be heaped upon everyone, but you'll help us to just sincerely ask you, Father, is this something that you would have us to be engaged with? Give us ears to hear, give us minds um, that are open, and hearts that really feel. So that whether it's personally welcoming a child into our home, or whether it's coming alongside those that have, Lord, we pray that each and every person whom you call will say yes to that call. And now, Father, we join our voices here together all around, not just the Twin Cities, but all parts of the world right now where people are tuning into this. We pray this prayer that, that is being echoed by voices, not just in this church, but in churches all around the world. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. You're such a good father. Thank you. Amen.